So good morning again, everybody. We are, we are preaching our way through this book that God really led me to. Every, every fall, we, we choose a book, or, or we pray, and, and I feel like God, God has provided a book every fall. We started our year that way, which has been really nice. So our small groups and our church are going through this book, God in My Everything by Ken Shigematsu. The book is on sale over there for 10 bucks. They were 17 bucks, but we got them in bulk, so they're, they're cheap for you. So feel free to pick one up if you can't afford one. Just email me and let me know you couldn't afford one and you took one, and that's fine. It's private between you and me. Uh, I just want to know and keep track of the, the, the money situation. But uh, it's a great book. I really recommend that you pick it up. And the underlying idea of this book is not that we would have a balanced life, which is what a lot of the culture tells us is important. Balance, find balance with your family and your work. Work-life balance. It's about living a Christ-centered life. That's what it's about. It's different. Live something centered around Christ. It doesn't mean that you have to pray long, spiritual-sounding prayers or read 10 chapters of the Bible a day. That's not, it's not about balance. It's about centering. And so what Ken is trying to do in this book and, and through the Scripture is to get us to buy into this concept that we can have our lives centered around Christ in every area, not just in church and among the church, but in our work, in our families, in our own time with him. And it really is true. We can do this. This, this is God's will for us. Jesus is at the center of all you do. And so the idea is to, to put together some helpful structures in your life to remind you of Jesus. I often uh, find myself to be envious of traditional cultures, um, particularly in Judaism, our, um, our, our relation and the Judeo-Christian faith. But in Judaism, there was so much interesting symbolism. I just got through reading uh, the, the the Mosaic books in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and they have like prayers tied into their boxes on their forehead. They have prayer tassels reminding them to pray. They have stuff written on the doorposts of their houses. It's everywhere, and they're living, basically, Jewish people in that time were living among other Jewish people, so it was like living in church all the time. Not only were you living among other Christians or, or Jewish people who are following God, but you are being reminded constantly by looking at your own wardrobe, looking at your kids, like as you walk, as you go, keep Jesus at the center. Our culture, it's gone. Bam, I can't snap. It's gone. There is no reminder of God. Even 10 years ago, there were reminders of God around. And I'm not one to rail against the culture at all. The culture is not Christian, essentially, so why would we expect it to be Christian? But there were some, you know, Christian threads that wound through culture, and Mike talked about his Taekwondo school, which is really, really fun, like the play, playing songs about Jesus. If you go to the mall, I challenge you to sit on a bench in the mall and listen, and try to hear a song about Jesus. One hour goes by, two hours go by, they start repeating. It's just not there. And um, I don't think that they should necessarily have songs about Jesus. It's not Christian culture, like I said. We're the Christians, but the point is, there's nothing to remind us of Christ very much in our daily life. And these simple structures that we put in place remind us of Jesus. That when we go to these simple structures in our life, they remind us to come back and center our lives around him in a way that's really needed because we don't have a lot of reminders of Jesus. So we talk about structures as being a trellis. And Ken talks about our spiritual life being like a trellis. Um, trellises are, are created for plants, for climbing plants, for shrubs, for vines, to have something to grow on. So if you leave a a plant alone, it will find a trellis of its own, but it might not be a very good trellis. It might find a boulder and climb up that boulder. The whole point is the plant is trying to get to the sunlight. That's what it's trying to do. 
but we can create a trellis for our own life that reminds us of Jesus and keeps him at the center and keeps us in the light of Jesus abiding in Christ so that we can bear fruit for him. If we don't put an intentional trellis in our life, we're still saved, we still love Jesus, but maybe we just grow kind of funny. Maybe we start going over boulders and we, we just don't, we're looking for structure, we're always looking for structure in our lives. So why not create a structure inspired by scripture that reminds us of God in a world that doesn't remind us of God very much? So this is the, the picture in our book that Ken uses, the trellis, the rule, uh, tre- the rule of life that monks follow in their monasteries. It's, it's, a, it's the, a different word for trellis. That's what that means. So a rule of life that bends. Uh, has three foundational uh, disciplines at the bottom called the roots. And that's made up of Sabbath, prayer, and reading of scripture. And today we're starting on the next bracket of the trellis, friendship, family, and sexuality. So that's something else to excite your friends about on Christmas Eve. Who knows? It might, that might fall on Christmas Eve, the sexuality sermon. You don't know. You don't know. It won't. Um. <laughs> um, so, we're, so we're getting into the, rel- the relate level of our tra- trellis, this, the second part of our trellis. Um, just, to, just to review, um, Sabbath keeping was the first thing he mentioned in the book, which was very interesting. It's interesting that he chose, the human author Ken, chose to make that a foundational third of our practice. It's interesting because hardly any of us really do Sabbath of any kind. I haven't done Sabbath up until this year. I've done Sabbath days in the past, but never consistently. I don't do Sabbath every week. I do it once a month. I'm working on two times a month. I'm working on my way up to once a month. And if you want to know why I haven't really done that until recently, you can hear my sermon from a few weeks ago and hear about my personal experience with uh, a spirit of religion spoiling Sabbath keeping. The spirit of religion says, Sabbath keeping is for God. You have to do it. But Sabbath, Jesus says, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was made for our good. It was a gift. It's something we get to do and we need to do to rest in Christ. And, it's, and when we Sabbath, we are remembering that Jesus finished the work on the cross, according to Hebrews, and he finished the work of creation. Creation and cross completed. We rest on the seventh day because he rested from his work both in creation and then again after Christ ascended on high after disarming the powers and authorities of darkness in the world. So Sabbath is a great foundational practice. And I agree. I think that in such a disrupt, putting such a disruptive um, piece of your trellis in your life is really good. That really reminds you of Jesus one day a week. Or if you're me, one month, one day a month. Or if you're you, maybe no days a week. Maybe it's time to start a Sabbath practice. Try it out. Stephen and Caitlin shared about it at the end of that sermon, and there's some really good stuff, good ideas. They talked about their, their success and their failure with trying Sabbath, and then finally what they've settled in now that's working for them. So that's a foundational discipline. The next two are not surprising. What do you think the other two are? Prayer, Bible. Prayer and Bible, Bible reading. And uh, prayer, you know, this is another thing that Christians struggle to do and mostly feel guilty about not doing the way they think they should. Because, it's again, it's a thing that religion has spoiled. Uh, people str- struggle to pray, but there are simple ways that we can center our lives around God, talk, talk to him regularly without getting into these, you know, Jesus criticized the, 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 the religious folks of his day because they believed they could, be pray- they could be heard because they prayed elaborately and with many words. And Jesus said, you know, that doesn't help you get heard by God. Just pray from the heart. When you pray, pray a simple prayer. Use a simple structure like the Lord's Prayer to remind you of what to pray. And I encourage you to listen to that sermon as well from a couple weeks ago. Finally, last week we looked at uh, God's Word and meditating on the written Word of God that Rebecca talked about. Um, 
and coming to know the, the living word, Jesus Christ, through the written word, which is what Jesus talks about. He criticized religious people of his day who spoiled the word. He said to them, you search the scriptures because you think that through them you'll come to know God, but you fail to come to Jesus, who the scriptures point to. So their word is null and void for you religious people. So we come to the word to know Jesus, and the word is full of Jesus. Uh, the songs we're singing today are theologically rich. Uh, Abraham's, you know, all, all, all those in the psalm we're closing with is very theologically rich, but like the prophecies of the Old Testament, the, the psalms, the prophets, uh, the, the, um, the, the psalms, the proverbs, the history, it's all, it all points to Jesus, and it really, I mean, it is actually one of those things that strengthens my faith more than anything else, seeing it's not um, mostly, it doesn't feel very contrived. It's like, wow, this is really pointing to Jesus all the way from Genesis to the end of the Old Testament. So it's a time to come to know Jesus. So today we are starting on the new section of our trellis, and we're going to spend two weeks uh, looking at this part of the trellis. The book has a chapter called Friendship, Companions for the Journey. I'm dividing this, this, this section into uh, huddling up or circling up with people to, to grow in Christ together, and then deep spiritual friendships with people that we love and trust. Um, having Christian relationships in their proper place in our lives, even if it can be inconvenient at times, it's a reminder of Christ. It keeps our lives centered on him. Uh, Christian relationships in their proper place keep Jesus at the center of things. And the book gives, again, one chapter to both concepts we'll be looking today. And uh, we'll also be hearing from a couple people in the church today as well about their experience of circling up in small groups. So let's pray this morning, and we're going to take a look at the scripture, and then we're going to take a look at um, what this section could look like for our trellis as we build our life with God. So Heavenly Father, I just, uh, I am one of those people this week, God, that is broken, that, uh, you know, I'm relying on you, and you've done such great things in my life, and I am very thankful, and I'm reminded of the grace I've received, and also that uh, in rejoicing that your mercy is more than anything uh, negative that any of us could do. Your mercy is more, and that our, our sin is like a drop of water in the ocean of your grace, because Jesus Christ's blood washes away our sins. I'm just reminded of that this week, this morning. God, thank you that we are set free from the power of religion, that we can be set free to a relationship that we get to have with you and that we are not the first person to make the advance, but you actually invited us into this relationship, which makes it all the more special because we know that we are wanted by you too, that you want us, God. Even if we're not living our lives connected to you at all right now, you want us. You, you came for us. You're seeking us. You want to shepherd us, God. Thank you for that truth. So bless this day as we talk about your word and this topic, and I pray that you would bless us in the area of relationships in our lives, that they would be We'd have relationships that point us to Jesus and keep him at the center that help us to grow in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read the text for today's sermon. Uh, I forgot to put it in the slide, so we're just going to read it to you. This is James 1, 22 to 25. It says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. They will be blessed. 
in what they do. Does that resonate with you? When I first read that this, this week, it resonated with me. So many times I've been in church and had a conviction or been in group, and you have a resolution, I'm going to do this, and then somehow it just seems to fade into the, the ether by Monday. But God, but God says through James, his half-brother, do not merely listen to the word. Sorry, it's Jesus, but Jesus and God are the same, so no problem there. Do not merely listen, but do what it says. It's ridiculous to listen and not do what it says. It's like looking in the mirror and forgetting what you look like. It's an interesting picture. I resonate with that. I think that's definitely true. Those who know me know that I love to camp. I love it. And I love especially multiple days of camping. And when we're breaking camp after a few days of, of fireside cooking, of fireside talking and maybe singing, uh, sleeping in tents, using the woods as the facilities, at some point it's always sad to have to break camp and head home. It's always sad when you have to break camp. That, that morning the tradition looks like um, you wake up, you look around your tent, it's really, really messy. Everything's unpacked. And uh, you're like, I have, to, I have to clean this up. But first, I need a cup of coffee. So you go to the fire, and the, it's still a little hot from the night before. You stoke it up, put in some logs. You, you boil your water for your cup of coffee. You, have, you grab a, a thing of instant oatmeal. You make some oatmeal. And then we all take an hour, 45 minutes, an hour to break down our gear. There's always one person that takes much longer than everybody else. And it's everyone's just standing there waiting. And I used to be that person. Now it's like a phobia of mine not to be that person. Um, and the final step when you camp is to walk around the campsite and collect any trash that you might have accidentally left behind, your kids might have left behind, or even some garbage that someone else left behind who didn't really have respect for the campsite um, or weren't able to carry it back for some reason. Maybe they were injured. Who knows? You take what can be disposed of by fire, and you throw it in the fire, and it burns. And then what you shouldn't burn... Sometimes you burn that too, but you shouldn't burn it. You should put it in the bag and bring it back and recycle it. But uh, finally, the final step of the camping process, when all the canoes are loaded and the backpacks are filled and the, the coffee is, is drank and the oatmeal is consumed, you, you take the fire and you stir, it, you stir up the coals and the wood and you pour an algae of water or two on top of that fire to make sure it's completely out. And that usually does the trick. The fire is just out at that point and then you leave. So growing up in my neighborhood, something really terrible happened. And you know how, like, in your neighborhood there are stories that everyone kind of knows for somehow, some, some way? And in my neighborhood there was something that terrible that happened. Um, my good friend's family had a fire on their beach. We lived on the Secondago Lake. And after they were done with the fire, they all headed back home. And the next day their son, um, my best friend's little brother, he was out playing on that beach, and he didn't think the fire was warm anymore because when the sun hits the coals, it doesn't look like it's hot anymore, but it was very hot. And he fell into that fire and got terrible burns on his chest, his arms, and his face that, you know, he had those, that I knew him only with those, those scars on his body. You know, the fire appeared to be out, but the coals from the wood had not been separated with a stick. There hadn't been water poured on it. Um, and it was still red hot, even though it appeared to be out. So for that reason, I'm obsessive about fires extreme, and candles. I'm scared of the Advent wreath a little bit. Um, I always blow them out and pour water on them because I'm concerned for other people getting hurt. That's a lot of sadness and regret to have over something simple. The principle of all this is that when glowing embers stay together and you don't stir them apart from each other, they can remain hot for days 
They're going to remain hot for a long time, longer than you'd expect. Well, when they're separated, even if you don't dump those Nalgene's full of water on them, they will eventually go out, probably after a night. It, they really will cool off after a night, usually, that you should use water on them. And that's how God's, word, God's world works uh, in the area of our relationship with God as well. I know, and you know, I know and you know, so many people who've left their church and never really wholeheartedly recovered from that leaving of the church. They weren't really, they were lackadaisically searching for a church, but they found things to not like about every church they visited, and then they just gave up. The church that they left was missing something that they felt was important to them, and they got so upset that they left, and after a short, short time of looking for another church, they, they give up, and they never go to church again. That's a common story in our world. And when you don't come to church again, there's very few reminders to think about Jesus again. Thankfully, not everyone does this, but some people do. The reason people give up is because, though they might say otherwise, they do not believe that they need the church. They don't believe that their relationship with God needs this trellis of community at all. And for that reason, they don't feel motivated to find the church or come back to church. Some people walk away from their faith altogether after they've left and become unrecognizable when compared to their previous on-fire, hot, glowing, passionate Christian selves. You know, God's created us to live in deep Christian community, which will always be imperfect, by the way. And God has required us that we would draw near to other Christians in order to grow and develop our relationship with Christ. It's, it's what keeps us hot. It's what keeps us on fire for God. And I will be the first to say it. I need other people to live out my faith as your pastor, as a, as a brother in Christ to you. And I'll, and I'll say it even more forcefully. Without this community of the church, I'm not sure I could go on in a very healthy way at all because of the endless levels of self-deception that I can fall under and delusion. It's just so easy to be deceived, to be deluded and deceived. And dece- and deceived. I, I, get, I tell lies to myself every week. You do too, whether you realize it or not. It's actually kind of scary. Now, I need church. You know, just this past week, I leaned on a relationship I have with another person in the body of Christ. I took a risk. I experienced some miraculous level of, of revelation, of, of awareness, and, and what will be growth in my life. You know, this is, that's a really cool thing to, like, lean on a, a, a sibling in Christ and be able to feel like it's the Holy Spirit's power punching you, punching you out of your old way into the new way. People can do that for you. Just bam. Just punch you out of whatever you're, however you're wandering and bring you back and wake you up from the dream that you're, you're living in. This coming week, I have a plan on talking with another Christian friend, uh, sharing some more things and trying to hear some counsel and getting some advice, uh, some, some help for the journey following Christ. That's just in, in, in a week's time. I feel like I needed those two conversations, those two people, desperately. It took a lot to share, but it's good to share. You know, we can't do this alone. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. And Jesus had 12 people that he hung out with constantly. Again, imperfect disciples of Christ. He was not a Lone Ranger Christian, but he was the Son of God. You know, Jesus 
talk about the trellis. Jesus prayed, studied the word, kept the Sabbath, kept a close community of 12 people. Jesus built his trellis. The Son of God was modeling for us what we need. The Son of God, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, needed community. We need each other's fire. We need each other's flame and heat to keep on burning. Otherwise, we will cease to be the light of the world that Jesus said we are. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. If we, if we forsake the community of the, of the people of faith and sideline it and step away from it, we can't glow hot, we can't burn, we can't shine bright. For the part of my trellis that supports the health of my body, which is a future talk, um, in what the book calls the restore section of the trellis, the second level up after the next series of sermons, it talks about um, taking care of your body as a spiritual practice. So for me, my plan is, on Mondays and Fridays, I do cardio at the gym. I love cardio. I think cardio is the best. It's like a natural drug. It keeps you happy. It makes you more alert. It makes you more awake. It makes you better at your work and your relationships. It's a great thing. So that's Monday and Friday. Tuesday and Thursday, I lift with my friend and do weight training. I hate weight training. I hate lifting weights. I hate dumbbells. I hate kettlebells. I hate machines. I hate all of it. The only thing I really like is bench press. Everything else I really despise. So interesting thing about this, this phenomenon. I love cardio. I hate weight training. I have to drive three times further to do weight training and only a third of the travel distance to do cardio. You'd think I'd do cardio most of the time, but I don't. I will, I will often, the, the, thing, the, the workouts I skip, that I will skip are the ones I'm going to do alone. It's Monday, it's Friday. Should I do this or should I just keep hitting the snooze alarm and go back to bed? But on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm meeting with my friend to lift. And if I don't show up, he's not going to have anyone to spot for him. It's going to be a disaster. That's how God's built us to have these, right down to the DNA of how God's formed us, we are made to make progress and thrive in community. That's true in the gym. It's true in the church. It's true in the Taekwondo school, right? I mean, these are all things we need other people. And we are more likely to grow and to remember and keep Jesus the center of our life if we do it with other people. I have the extra blessing that the person that I lift weights with is an awesome Christian guy who's also named Nathan Charles, just like me. And so he's also a pastor. It's kind of weird. We both became installed at our churches the same day of the same year. And he's become a good friend who I lift with. So I get to be talking about my struggles and things I'm learning. Even, But that's not what gets me there. What gets me there is the guilt of leaving him hanging. <laughs> and that's what gets me there. And that's the point. You know, that's a fire that can burn and glow. And I think that continuing to walk down that path is going to be good things. And adding more people to that routine can only make it better, because that's how we are built. Now, we are not made to grow, thrive, get heated and on fire in anything but close-knit Christian community. And we, that's the truth. We can't do it alone. We have to go through the trouble of figuring this thing out, because our trellis needs groups of friends who are like-minded. We call them small groups in, the church, in our church structure. And our trellis needs individual friends who we can talk to and share with deeply. We need to figure it out. 
you know, the opportunity we've created at New Life, as I said, is to achieve this need is setting up small groups that meet weekly or every other week where we encourage our members to come together to share a meal if they want to, to study the Word of God, to pray, to go through a book study, which is what we're doing right now, to talk about the sermons that we talk about on Sunday. That's how our fire gets lit, and that's how the fire grows. And I'm convinced by my own, by my own experience that this is you know, the, the best way forward. You know? You know, this week I look forward to my small group. Even though I'm a little tired by the time small group rolls around, um, we're going to be studying chapter 4 of the book, talking about the root practice of Sabbath-keeping, because we're not, we're not in tandem with the sermons exactly. So I get to review this topic again, remember what God spoke to me that day in my preparation, and then resolve to keep moving forward in that practice together with my group. We're going to share a meal together. Um, we're talking about our experiences in life, um, listening to other people's perspectives who are different than mine in the group, and then worshiping and praying and fellowshipping together. And more than, any, more than any other part of the trellis, above the roots, the practice of relating to other Christians grows us more than anything and keeps us moving forward with God. Listen again to this passage in James that we read. Just listen, to, if this resonates with your experience, listening in church by yourself or reading the, the word of God on your own without that community. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his, mirror, his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So this is the equivalent of figuring out where you want your, your boat to be in the water and dropping a heavy five-gallon bucket of cement and rebar into the water and tying your boat to that so that it can be moored out there. That's what community is like. We're mooring ourselves to other people so that we can not just hear the word in a church service or hear the word in our personal study or, or anything like that or in the car by ourselves, but we can share that experience and we can be sharpened and grow from the feedback other people give us in that group. They moor us and keep us right where we need to be. Something I read in this passage said this, this week. You know, James is saying, you come to church and you become aware. That's what looking in the mirror is, coming to church and becoming aware of something. You're aware that change needs to take place, that you need to do something about the habit that you have, that you need to speak to somebody, that you need to change the path down which you're going, that you need to turn off that computer, that there's something that possibly you need to do to forgive someone else or walk in forgiveness. These are, and James is saying that to, to come into church, to come into our time with God, to see something clearly that needs to happen, and then doing nothing about it, that's a foolish way to live. It's something we'd never do after looking in the mirror. We would remember what we looked like. We'd do something. When we look at the vision of this church, our goals here at New Life, we believe the very best place to look in the mirror and be motivated to do something about what you see is in a small group community. You know, meeting in living rooms, hearing from others, sharing your thoughts, receiving and giving prayer, and supporting others and being supported by other people. James shares a little bit more after his verses about looking in the mirror. I'll read it here. Those who consider themselves re religious, yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. 
religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In this passage, he's talking about us keeping a tight rein in our tongues, because if we lack control of our tongues, he says our religion is worthless. He then talks about the things that should characterize our religion. I feel like that is in quotes. We should be characterized by looking after the orphans and the widows and their distress, coming to the aid of the marginalized and disadvantaged in society who have no voice, to share in taking care of the actual needs of others, and to finally keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. All of this is accomplished very simply in our church body through committing to attending church services and especially attending small group community during the week. You know, we might feel rather spiritual on our own, like we're doing a pretty good job. We might keep a tight rein on our tongue on our own. We might give to the poor and do a fairly good job of not being polluted by the world. But all of that is just self-evaluation. That's just you looking at yourself and thinking the very best of yourself, which I have been guilty of. And it could be wrong. Maybe you're just not as good as you think you are. (laughs) We could be deceived. Where the rubber meets the road is in true community with other believers and people that might be quite different from you with people who might irritate you, who you have a hard time not judging harshly whenever they seem to be about to say something. When you hear their stories. Now, who has great control of their tongue now when they're exposed to people that bother them? Where has your tight rein gone when someone grates on you? Who is generous when they hear an actual need of somebody else in their group? Who's gracious to listen to and humble enough to take in another viewpoint that doesn't match their personal theology and to think about it. Being in group with people that are different from us, different experiences, different life, different challenges, different interpretations, different background, different theology at times, it loosens us up a lot. And we realize that all of us are on a journey with Jesus. That we are, we are worse than we could have ever imagined, but we are loved and accepted more than we could have ever imagined. We are, we're worse than we could have imagined. We're not quite as great as we are, as we think we are when we look at ourselves. But we're loved and given grace more than we can imagine from God. So, I don't think that, uh, that small groups are, are, are going to be the answer for everyone. I wouldn't claim such a thing. But I think that for most people, small groups are a really good answer. You know, life is better lived in circles with brothers and sisters in Christ, in places where you can grow in your character. You can hold up the mirror, remember what God is speaking to you, and actually make those hard changes that are so good for you, right? You can see in that mirror what you actually look like. You can be humbled in a way that leads to actual growth in your character, in love, in service, in charity. In other words, you can learn to deal in the currency that Jesus deals with us, which is grace, endless grace, which flows from his wounds on the cross. We can learn to deal in grace instead of judgment, harshness, unthought-through words, spoken or unspoken, heart attitudes are not good, not gracious. We can learn, we can change, we can grow. We can see that all of us are just normal people trying to do our best, and we need, we need this. We need this. We need this like an alcoholic needs a 12-step group. 
And of course, you know, those groups were started by Christians who knew that the best way to overcome addiction is through being around other embers in the fire. When your fire goes out, someone else will light you. When you're stopping that, that nice little glowing that happens at the end of a good fire, someone can blow on you and you can just, you can be, you can, you can be encouraged right into Jesus being at the center. In small groups, we take what we've, we've heard in our, in our readings, in, in, the, in the services, in, in, our, in our own scripture reading that convicted us, with, and we share that with others so they will not be forgotten, so that others can help us to remember those things. And then we find ourselves not just hearers of the word, who might feel momentarily convicted from time to time, but we'd be doers of the word who hear the Spirit and actually make a change. We make a hard change with the encouragement of our friends who are also doing the same thing. That sounds like being transformed from glory to glory to me in a very organic way. You know, we're like a fire. Some of us are like embers. Some of us are like fresh new logs thrown in the fire and we're just like, and people around us are like, whoa, take some time and grow. You got to read the Bible more before you do that. No, let's, let's get lit by everybody. New Christians, Christians that have been walking with God for a short time, people that have been with the Lord for a long time. You know, some of us are embers, some of us are, are fresh logs. Some of us have, have separated from fellowship and have just kind of gotten cold. But together, we can inspire and be inspired by the Word of God. We can share deeply, more than we're comfortable with, perhaps. Pray, be prayed for, pray for others, and really be changed. Really be changed by the Word of God. I've been, I, I thought about it this morning. I've been in small groups continually from 2020, 2002 until today in 2023. So all but one year of my um, time knowing Christ. You know, my very best friends are the people that I've done life with in these groups. And many of you are here today. And I have, I have been inspired. I have confessed shameful sin, usually with, uh, usually with more one, one or two other people. I've been prayed for, and I've, I've been changed. You know, this is not theoretical to me, or to Jackie. You know, Jackie and I felt that small groups were so important to our lives that we didn't stop when we got engaged and we were planning the wedding, and it was crazy. We didn't stop. We just kept going. You know, we didn't stop when we had our first child to adjust. We, maybe we should have. I don't know. We didn't stop when we had our second, third, or fourth children. We just kept going because it's such a lifeline for us, and the value of the group is too great for us. And in small groups over the last 20 years, you know, we have learned to love and support people who struggle with many different things, lifelong mental health issues. Um, we've been inspired by the way that people have clung to and trusted in Jesus as they struggle and suffer. We've learned to, to love and be loved by people with financial needs that they could not meet. And we've learned, uh, we've learned to be those people that had financial needs that we couldn't meet. And we've received from our group groceries and free childcare and $100 bills hidden in handshakes. That's a small group. We've cooked countless meals. We've had countless parties. We've sung karaoke. We've given and received meaningful gifts. We've had the privilege of seeing the children of our friends go from newborn to 18 or 19 years old. 
quite an amazing thing. I remember when, when we were dating in 2007, we held group, even when we'd been arguing all day about wedding planning. I don't even remember what it was about. We were stressed out by the wedding. And a member of our group saw we were struggling and insisted on going for a walk with us and walking us around the block and trying to convince us of why we shouldn't fight anymore. And uh, that's pretty awesome. Circling up in small group community has, has changed me. It's shaped my family. And we've learned to give grace to people who annoy us. I say us, but it's probably just me. And over time, those same people have become our most valuable and cherished friends because all that was just superficial garbage. And we've also come to know that we are really annoying sometimes ourselves. We've heard from talkative people and those who are more reserved and quiet most of the time. We've been inspired. You know, small group has stoked our fire. And that's why we, we persist in continuing to be a part of one, encouraging most people we know, including all of you, to, to do the same. It's been one of the most significant ways besides individual friendships um, that we have looked in the mirror spiritually and done something about what God's been telling us. It's how we've stared into the perfect law that gives freedom and found true freedom in Christ. Right before our passage in James and in, in Hebrews, the book before in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, uh, this, is, this is more a passage you'd expect me to preach today. It says, Let us consider how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, amen. Amen to that. That's being in the church on Sunday. It's finding a small group, finding your people, circling up, that your ember might become a fire. I've invited a couple of my friends, Lori and Chaz, forward to share about their experience of, of uh, growing and leading a small group. And I uh, just want to invite them forward to, to share with us a little bit as we close out our service. We've been on this road for a long time together. small groups um, started a long time ago when we first came to this church. I didn't know really about small groups. Um, somebody invited me to the young mothers. Uh, they called them cell groups at that time. And I just, I thought that was kind of weird, actually. I was like, what's a cell group? And so she explained it to me. And um, Anyway, getting involved in that um, was kind of the catalyst for what we did after. Um, for us, small groups have always um, been a small part of actually getting to be a bigger part of something that's even bigger. Um, it's like part of what took us from just attending New Life to actually being active participants in the church and um, in a different way than just serving in ministries. Um, once we, once I mean, I was a part of that mother's group for a while, and um, then we started getting involved in different um, couples groups and family groups, and we had people there that would watch our children while we could meet together. Um, so it was great. Uh, growing together in the word, <clears throat> in relationship with one another, and in the greater community of the church. So that was kind of the evolution of me not really understanding what a small group was to um, becoming a part of several of them. Um, after a few years, my husband and I decided that we could um, 
essentially host or lead the small groups. So actually Nathan and um, Mark Forsyth, when he was pastor here, brought us through a small group training, and we started leading groups right after that. Um, it's gone in seasons over the years. Um, during busy seasons of life, we've kind of waned away, but um, we've always come back to hosting, and um, through that, we've, um, we've realized that we grow in those relationships deeper, and we gain so much more than we're actually giving. So some of those things we gain are a greater understanding and kind of conceptualization of the word and its application to life. When we're sitting with people that we think may know more about God's word, we're actually finding that we're all on different levels and we're learning and growing with one another and discovering and understanding in different ways. And that's been incredibly important in, our, um, in my personal growth um, and walk with the Lord. We gain friendships with the people that we would have otherwise only seen for a few moments on a Sunday. You know, these are the people that are reaching out to us when we're struggling. They're the people that are texting in our text group, um, praying for you. You know, we know somebody's having surgery. They're even showing up sometimes after that surgery. Um, so I'm sure it's everything that you were talking about with, um, you know, just kind of being in community in a smaller community of people. So you gain a community within a community. This is the community that prays for us, that's met and come to our family holiday functions, that reaches out when they don't hear from you, they check on you. Um, they become a part of your life as you're going through transitions, like sending kids off to college or even sending them into kindergarten. Those are the people that are walking with you through that. So during COVID, when we couldn't be together on Sundays, um, Pastor Nate was encouraging all of us to gather in small groups. And Chaz and I connected with a couple of local families in our corner of the world, which some people have said driving out to our house is like driving halfway to Canada. So there are other people that live by us, and <laughs> we've... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we invited them to, um, to do just a small group at our house um, with a meal, and we, yeah, we decided to do a book study. Um, it was really beneficial and uplifting for us during that time, that uncertain time of not knowing when we would actually be able to come back together um, as the greater church body. Um, so we just continued it, and it continued for a few years. We're taking a break from it right now, but um, we've had some folks come in and some leave, and it's just been a really great experience on the whole. Chess told me not to tell a story, but I did. <laughs> so, wow. For, for those of you who don't know, um, Lorian has prepared a full payment. <laughs> so, Lorian's in graduate school right now, and um, so she has scholarly references on there. Um, she's, she's got, it's, she, so she's prepared something, and I have not. So, I'm going to tell you a funny story. So, <clears throat> so <clears throat> many years ago, we joined this church, and a bunch of these young, cool young guys said, hey, would you like to go on a camping trip with me? Uh, we, we go on this place uh, up in Lake George. We climb up and over a mountain and down the other side, and then we set up camp somewhere, and we, we hang out for a few days, and, and then we, we hike back up, over, and back down, and we call it um, <clears throat> hell or high water because we're going come hell or high water. And so uh, Pastor Nathan is a young member of the church, not at the time a, a pastor in any way, shape, or form, but Pastor Nathan is there. And so here we are, a bunch of young guys. We're getting our packs, and we're getting all set up. And there's Pastor Nathan, so excited. Well, he's not Pastor Nathan. He's just at that time was Natty Daddy. 
So he's got just like sneakers on. I don't even think they were hiking shoe sneakers. They were just like full on sneakers. So we hike in the snow because it was like March 30 something, right? Like the, the, like the last week of March. We hike in snow. And I'm talking, we're hiking in post hole deep snow. You're going in. And he makes it, right? So we, we, we help each other up these steep, icy cliffs, and we make it up to the top. There's so much snow. You get to the other side, and the sun had, had baked off all the snow on the other side. We go down, and we camp. We set up in a, a cool spot right on the edge of Lake George. And so we spend uh, a night in a tent. And so Nate and I are going to share a tent. It's a little two-man tent. And you ever been in a two-man tent with two full-grown men? It's really a, a one-man tent, but we, we made it. We fit. Well, guess what? It snowed six inches that night, and it was wet and, like, nasty snow. And Nate and I woke up. The tent was crushed down on our heads from snow. There was, like, a creek of water running through the tent in between us, and we were frozen solid. But I guess like the ember story, we were embers keeping each other warm. I was like curled up inside him like a grizzly bear. So Nate spent the day with his sneakers off, hanging on a stick by the fire with shopping bags on his feet uh, by the fire, playing a guitar. And like all the other dudes are like, are you okay? His teeth are chattering. He's singing worship songs, playing his guitar. And he's like, yeah, I'm having a great time. This is an awesome time. And so that has nothing to do with small groups. That's just a funny story about Nate. And sorry, I didn't prepare anything. But when you started talking about camping, it was a great story. But it led me to think, my gosh, like, you know, we got started at this church. Like, you know, I've known him since prior to him being a pastor. Some of you only know him as Pastor Nate. But, like, we did small group training together. We've been in small groups together. We've done small groups when the couches were over there, in the back rooms, in that classroom there. Our old, our old house, we've done them. Ed and Mary Joe's house, we've done them pretty much everywhere, right? Like, we host small groups at our home now. And the small group that's at our house now is, like, a small little community of Porter Corners people, right? Like, the Passaretti's come, right? Billy Joe, you had such a great time in our small group. Mark started coming recently, and it's just it's it's a ton of uh, it's it's a ton of fun to have this small little community of people that are together. But one thing that sticks in my mind is, if you're just coming to church on Sunday and then that's it for for the next six days, I think you're missing the boat, right? The whole point of this is to come here. Yeah, we see each other and have marginally good coffee and free donuts and oh sorry now jesse <laughs> what i said marginally good sermons i don't know what do I... <laughs> <laughs> no so at the end of the day the point is you if you're not in a small group in a community of people i think you're missing the boat and that's really the specialness of new life and the specialness of, of what the church is, right? The church is not this building. It is not in any way, shape, or form a building. It's not a set of concrete floors and chairs and windows. Well, windows someday. Um, 
it's just not. And so church is us, right? It's, it's, the, it's, it's us doing the things, right? It's us being in community and lifting each other up. And, you know, I bought a boat so that I could take Mark fishing so I could trick him into talking about God. Like, I mean, th- this is what we need to be doing as, as a community is being together and doing church together. And so uh, I'm past my time. That's the end. I have a lot of great stories, but I guess my last encouragement would be is if you haven't text him at 1130 on any given day saying, hey, you want to go for sushi in 10 minutes? You have to. Nathan is a fantastic friend to me. He, uh, like, he is a brother, not just in Christ, but he is a great friend. But if you haven't had lunch with him, like, you're missing the boat. Nathan is a great guy to hang out with. Yeah, he preaches on Sunday, but if you're not hanging out with him other than that, I think you're missing the boat. But that also leads to me to say there's other people that you should be doing that with in the church, and you should be inviting them to your home for meals and doing church as friends and, you know, cooking steaks for your buddies that used to be in youth group, right? Like, Adriel was over Friday night. We had steaks. So that's just my spiel on this. And Sorry, any last words? So, Nathan, thank you for being a good friend and encouraging us and praying for us as you do and for, you know, just being who you are because obviously without you, you know, we, we probably wouldn't be here today. You've been instrumental. So I thank you. And I thank God for putting you here because you're a great pastor. And I thank our church for being our church because you guys are are great for us. And and we just, we invite you for dinner. Lorian will be cooking sometime when she's done. I think we were supposed to say something more about circling up people. Is that good? We're good? Okay. (laughs) No, I'm done. And he's got to be done. So I would say, actually, I do want to say one last thing because she's not here, but... um, Somebody who was really in influential in us starting our small group at our new house was Mrs. Patty, who spoke last week. And um, sometimes hosting can be, you can feel a little burnout. Um, when we moved, there was a lot of heartache. It was really hard building this house. And she would encourage us daily. And she said, this is a house that God's giving you to bless other people with, um, which really sparked us into hosting our Greenfield Porter Corners small groups. So thank you, Mrs. Patty. Well, that was more fun and interesting and inspirational than I could have ever expected. Well, I should have expected that, actually. It was awesome. Really? That's true, right? Yeah. I just never been hiking, but I was enthusiastic like usual. I just didn't think through it, and then I went forward, which is a good quality sometimes. Sometimes it kills you. And um, my, I wore sneakers that were old and battered and had the sole coming off of them because I wanted to not get my nice sneakers wet or dirty. That was my idea. And, and, and I found, uh, it was when we were engaged, I believe, um, on my porch, a pair of keen hiking boots with a note on them that said, we prefer you to be alive, something like that. Friends, all these friends, all these awesome people that we've, we have as friends of the church, uh, past and present, we love them all. Amen. Amen. 
I'm going to invite Linda Ford to share just a quick announcement about the women's dinner, and then we're going to be uh, 